I'm Liz and um, I am definitely an alcoholic. I'll start off here with an old quote from, and I will lose um, from Liz B. She recently passed away. She passed away at the age of 100 and she would have celebrated 69 years sober next month. And she just passed away. And uh, one of the great things she said that I would, that I used to hear long before I even like knew who she was, was AA took the monkey off my back. My kids alcohol, AA took the booze monkey off my back. But babies, that don't mean the circus has left town. And that's why I keep coming back. So, you know, the circus has not left town. Liz is still Liz. Liz is a little different. I'm a little different. And, you know, another thing is I, I don't want to talk about a psychic change because I believe that Bill Wilson, who was not an English teacher like I was when I got sober, um, it's really not a psychic change. That's actually an incorrect word that is used um, in our literature because I didn't like get sober and become Sybil the soothsayer. I didn't get sober and develop like extreme powers of telepathy and and fortune telling. Now that would be a psychic change. I can see someone, <laughs> right. I know that that's what that means. What I have had is a psychological change. And I actually believe that that is the word that he meant to write, a psychological change. Now, how, did the, how the hell did that happen? All right, just a little bit of background for anyone coming in or anyone who's interested or you know, just to remind myself, because we often say in Alcoholics Anonymous, and any anonymous, name your A, what I was like, what happened, and what I try to be like. That's what I think. But I try to be like now. And what I was like was this. Um, I was a damaged child. Trauma was my gateway drug, babies. Trauma was the thing that got me into the bottle. Although you couldn't have told it to me then. I mean, nobody came up to me when I was 14 years old and said, Liz, um, by the way, are you aware that you are fear driven and you have trauma held in the body and in many different ways due to repeated and one time and repeated abuse in a lot of different ways growing up? And here you are and you're 14 and you're going to put some alcohol in you and all of a sudden, um, that fear will go away and you'll stop caring about anything and you'll grow a foot and you'll become blonde instead of, you know, the black haired raven beauty that I was at 14. You'll be blonde and the tip fairy will come and give you some and the ass fairy will come and take some away. And the boy sitting next to you at the party, at the party would become the B-52 CIA secret agent, ending up piling secretly under my sheets. Nobody told me that. I just was at a cast party in what we call middle school or, you know, junior high school, uh, middle school if you're across the pond. And I got very, 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 very drunk at a cast party after a play that I was in. And I was about 13 and a half, 14, something along those lines. I had, by the way, I had already smoked dope. I'd already smoked dope and taken acid. So if you want to talk about like developing mental illness, trust me when I tell you, try and be like 13 and a half, 14 and putting LSD in you, you know, that's the kinder, gentler drugs than today, but still, 
Um, that wasn't fun. I actually didn't have fun doing that. I got paranoid on pot, hungry and paranoid, and I had bad acid trips, although I did more than one. See, that was an indication. I did more than one. But somehow, and this is really nothing to do with singleness of purpose. It really is not. It has to do with the fact, the way I'm made, that I got super ass drunk, falling down, puking drunk. And my first drink was a drunk. How about that? My first drink at 14 was a drunk. And my last drink, my last drink at the age of 42 in Paris, France, was also a drunk. Now, in between, there was a lot of drunks. There was a lot of drinking. Okay. And I was Gina Geographic. So, you know, no one, no one, no one then, no one for many years said, you know, if you have your first experience with drugs or alcohol and you come, you sneak in the house uh, after that and you puke over the side of the bed, all over the carpet and the room is spinning and it's really unpleasant and you really like don't know what the hell's going on and you can't remember shit and your mother comes upstairs and beats the crap out of you. Um, because you vomited all over the floor and then you get grounded and, you know, all this punishment hanger. You know, I'm thinking what a normal civilian would do was a normal civilian reaction to recreational drinking or drugging or gambling or whatever. If they have a really bad experience, they're probably not going to do it again. I mean, I can ask a general question of anybody who's listening to this right now or who will be listening to it off a recording, you know, off the, uh, off the, the recording that they find. Ask yourself this question. You ever had food poisoning? I'm sure a few of us have had food poisoning. Let's just take lamb chops. You ever had food or an oyster? That, both of which has happened to me. Now, I love raw oysters. I lived in Europe for, you know, I lived in France for a third of my life where I got sober and hit my bottom. Do you know I got food pointing once from a raw oyster in France? It took me two and a half years, two and a half years to even look at another oyster. Okay. You know, when I was two years old, and this is true, um, it turned out I had an allergy to tree nuts, to tree nuts, not peanuts, which are legumes, but tree nuts. And my, I blew up like a balloon. I was, a, I was a little toddler of two. And so it became apparent that I was extremely allergic to tree nuts. It was a terrible allergy. And I still have that allergy. Do you know that I'm 67 and a half years old now? If I go over to one of your houses, particularly like say someone in the South and you're a baker and you're baking a beautiful pecan pie and the whole house the whole house smells of beautiful roasted pecan pie and it's warm out of the oven. You say, this happened to me. Lynn, have a piece of this pie, homemade, the crust and everything. I'm gonna go, no, thank you. I have a vicious allergy to almonds, pistachios, walnuts, walnuts are the word, pecan, whatever. I have been able to my whole life say, no, thank you. And sometimes, you know, I've been drunk enough to not even pay attention. And of course, I've had an allergy to nuts. It's not like I've never, that's happened. But I was able to say thank you. None of that happened with alcohol. I couldn't wait to get back for more. I couldn't wait to go back and do it the hell again. But nobody sat next to me on a bar stool with a fake, you know, I was the fake ID. Drinking age was 18 in New York back then. Nobody, nobody said uh, red flag, uh oh, red flag, you know, 
you puked your guts out, you got punished, you know, it was like disgusting, you were sick for days, uh, can't wait to, to do it again, ooh, ooh, that's red flag, okay? Let's fast forward a little bit. So um, I took that show into high school, more drugs are involved, dry goods. Dry goods are really the salt and pepper to my drinking. I'll just tell you that right now. Alcohol was my thing. I got what I wanted from booze, which was to not care, which was to not care. I'm, I'm gonna take a, a thing here for a second. Nobody, nobody said to me either. I just got punished for shit. I just got punished for shit. And then, you know, I got old enough to, um, to run away, to crawl out a window. And, and run away from home, and come back in the morning before my mother had a chance to cast me out of the house. And she cast me out of the house anyway. But nobody sat down, I was 15 or 17 or on my 18th birthday, I graduated high school early and got on a plane and flew to Paris, France, by the way, on my 18th birthday. That's a long story that I, I don't have to go into, but I got a job before I was planning on going to college, to university in September. And so I had time between graduating and when, so I got on a plane and I flew to Paris and I had living arrangements made for me. No one told me then that if you need a substance to not care, that this is the thing you've got, Liz or Elizabeth, you need to not care, which means to not worry which means to not catastrophize, which means to not be fear-driven that this outcome or that outcome is going to happen. That's a mark of an anxiety disorder. It's a mark of a survival tool, which by the way, work, worked. it worked then, right? It worked for me. That running from my feelings, running them into the bottle, or any other thing you care to substitute. When I say bottle, you want to substitute sex, food, cutting, drink, you know, gambling, uh, whatever. Okay. You're just whatever to substitute. In my case, it was uncle. Nobody said to me, um, red flag, uh, that's a sign of um, a panic disorder, an anxiety disorder put into place by repeated abuse. And you're going to take that party on the road. And I took that party on the road. Nobody said that to me. So I found my solution. And my solution became not just alcohol, but behavior patterns that were at the time solution. I could, by the way, get drunk and pick up the boys in the bar, bars in New York, bars in Paris, France, bars in Los Angeles, bars back in New York, discos here as a disco queen, because I'm old. So it's, I'm old. Right, I told you my age. So when I got to Paris, I was 18 years old. And that was a sort of the runway. That was like the runway to the rest of my life until I got sober at the age of 42 of using what I now know were survival tools. So that was sex with strangers in dangerous situations with dangerous men. Situations I would not have put myself in unless I was high or drunk. Unless I was high or drunk, let's be very clear. So I literally could look back, but this is, 
I'm, you know, I'm looking back in hindsight in what was, you gotta remember if I go back to where I was back then at 18, you know, 14, 18, 29, 36, I didn't know what I didn't know. So everything I know now comes from being part of a fellowship where I walk on the backs of giants who appeared in my life when, when I needed them to appear. And now in traditional AA, this is the moment in time where whoever is leading the meeting is gonna say, that's how I know there's God, right? And in, in, in what we call, right? That we're, that, now we're gonna to get to that. I don't know anything about that. I will tell you right off the bat, I am 25 years sober, a day at a time, in a row. It's a testament, not a tool. And I have done that on the backs of people who sponsored me the way I needed to be sponsored when I didn't even know what I needed and who were not necessarily big book, line by line, literate thumpers that I was needed to get God or die. And if I had... Well, which, by the way, is an argument right there. There's an argument that I walked into a hey, fast forward at the age of 42. I told you I was going to jump all over the place. But fast forward into, you know, walking into my first AA meeting. Nobody was talking about God. Why? It wasn't in Kansas City. No offense. It wasn't in Indiana. No offense to Mizarro over there. It wasn't in, you know, North Florida, which is the old joke. The further north you go in Florida, the deeper the south. It's, it's you know, it, it wasn't in the deeps. It was in Paris, France. It was secular in nature. It wasn't this get God or die kind of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm going to tell you, I will go on record in this recording. That actually is an argument, not necessarily for a designer creator, the power, but it is an argument for the benevolence of something in the universe greater than Liz. That they, I don't know what it is. That's you know why I call myself Hurricane Liz at this time of year. Because I'm going to tell you right now, a hurricane is more powerful than me. But here's the thing. Had I walked in, I, am, I can guarantee this. Had I walked into a meeting, desperate, still shaking, a toxic with the alcohol leaving my body, should have been medically detoxed in the, alcohol, you know, in the hospital. Oh, irony of ironies. In 1997, I lived a couple, like two blocks away from one of the most famous drunk detox drunk wards, Hospital Saint-Anne in Paris, but I didn't go there. Instead, I went to an AA meeting. And had I heard people thumping around the notion of a designer creator, you know, the Christian language that, that is used in our literature, which is fine, but I'm like, I don't care, but because I'm gonna talk about that. But you would have another speaker tonight. You would have another speaker tonight. I would be dead. I would have turned on my heel and walked out of the room. So if anyone is listening to this, who's not necessarily here, or if you're here, or if you're listening to this at a future date, my darlings, if I could do it, you could do it. You could believe in anything you want. You could, uh, you could do anything you want. And this is how it was laid out for me. I'm now going to get into it. 
So this is what happened. I gave you a little bit of the background. At 42 years old, I came to on a beautiful, gorgeous May day, 1997. I was 42 and I literally had had an out-of-body experience the night before at what we New Yorkers would call a bridge and tunnel discotheque called La Pole. Excuse me. On the Boulevard Montparnasse, Paris, in the sixth arrondissement. I was about to get fired from my job again due to what we like to call bad breaks and misunderstandings, right? Bad breaks and misunderstandings, try drinking on the job. Try drinking on the job. So now I know I have, I know that I have developed an adversarial relationship, not only with alcohol, but with myself. But again, nobody sat there, no shrink, no doctor, no, nobody ever sat there and said, Liz, an adversarial relationship with yourself and an adversarial or enemy relationship with booze is an indication that the solution you found when you were but a wee teen is no longer working and is doing the opposite, is doing the opposite. So I couldn't stop crying that morning. And I called a recorded number for Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got a woman on the phone eventually, who eventually became my first sponsor. And her name was Carol, and she's now deceased. May she rest in peace, whatever. And and I'm a heretic, by the way, about that. You know, I'm totally blasphemous when it comes to dead airs, right? You know, a lot of people go, oh, they're up at the great meeting in the sky. They're up in the great meeting in the sky. And I am totally like this apostate, this horrible blasphemer because, and I'm actually going to go on record with this. You know what I think? I think that dead AAers, you know what I think? I don't think they're up in a big meeting in the sky. I think they're up in a big bar room in the, in the sky drinking with impunity. They're dead. They're, everyone's drinking together. They're like everyone you ever know in AA or NA or whatever A or CA or whatever. They're gambling, they're toting, they're snorting, they're drinking, they're effing, they're doing all the stuff with complete indemnity and no negative. Because that's like, right? I'm just, that's blasphemous. All right, moving right along. So going back. So I call and I get Carol on the phone. And she says to me, um, she says, because I just can't stop crying. And she goes, oh, you're hurting bad. You're hurting bad. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. She tells me about a meeting. It was across town and I couldn't get to it because I could barely crawl into my kitchen. But I go the next day the next day, which was Monday, I had, to, I, had to, I had to sleep off my hangover, which was three-dimensional in nature. The next day, which was Monday, May 19th, I guess. And, um, and I ended up at the venue where the meeting she told me about on Tuesday was. She forgot to tell me there was a meeting there on Monday, a nooner. And that be, a meeting eventually became one of my home meetings. And but I showed up there shaking and baking, and there were a lot of supermodels there, darlings. I'm I'm looking at someone on the screen who actually looks like a supermodel. She's so gorgeous, but I'm not going to name names. Um, this was the month of May. It was Fashion Month in Paris, 
So all the supermodels who were sober were like outside the meeting venue smoking cigarettes. And I'm in there, 42, bloated, bloated in 42. And here I see a bunch of like literally a very large group of very famous supermodels who are smoking. And I'm going like, and I figured, oh my God, oh my God, it's supermodel AA. I'm out of here. I'm like, I can't do this. And I start to back out, back out of this long cobblestone corridor. And they beckoned me back. Honey, they kind of did what has been done to me ever since, actually, all over. All over. In person. In person in AA. On Zoom in AA. Come on in. You know, like Ralph White likes to say when he talks. Come all the way in. Sit all the way down. They didn't say it that way. They're like, come on, honey. Come on. Come on. You're like a little puppy dog. Come on. Looking for the meeting? Come on. In. And then a bunch of supervisors will push me in the damn room. Which there was a meeting in progress. Oh, they just shoved me in there, and I'm shaking, and I'm like, you know, I'm I, I'm a mess. Yet, there's a group of people in there. It was very crowded. All the other meetings had shut down because it was a legal holiday. It was a holiday in France, so this was the one meeting with, that was open that day. English language AA. I spoke French, but this meeting happened to be what we call expat AA or English AA, and it was very crowded. They're hanging from the ceiling, and you know. And I'm leaning against the wall in the back of the room. I really don't know what's, I don't know what's hit me. It's like, I mean, my life is over. My life is over. I'm in an AA meeting, my life is over. And I really don't remember much. I remember people coming up to me afterwards. I remember people, I remember them touching me, like patting me. And I felt like, they're like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Please don't pat me. Don't do any of that. Please don't do that. But they did. And they threw, they gave me phone numbers. And hey, this is before smartphones. You know, the phones were still attached to the wall, you know, so people had those numbers. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know which way was up. And I went home. And I took the week off from work. And the next day, the next day I knew for sure there was a meeting there. And I, I went to it because I felt better. So guys, I felt better. So now this is, this is, was my MO. I would swear <laughs> off drinking for a while. Okay. That was my MO. I didn't have words to describe it. Myself who was, my literal job title was a professor of English as a foreign and second language. And I, the great reader, intellect, intellectual teacher of English did not have the words. Interestingly enough, it was the literature itself when I got to it that gave me the words of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Or if you prefer, demoralizing, incomprehensible, you know, pitiful everything. Um, it was the book gave me the words, but I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. So what happened was I went to this meeting and this, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I talk about this, but it turns out that this meeting was a step meeting. Now, what did I know from steps? You know, I had seen the movies, right? You know, I'll cry tomorrow with Susan Hayward. It's not like I knew nothing about Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous. it's not, I knew, you know, Jack Lemon. And I knew Jack, you know, I knew, I knew Days of Wine and Roses. So I figured I'd get a 
someone like Jack Klugman, the actor, to be what they I knew was called a sponsor, who would teach me how to drink with impunity. You often hear that. I would learn how to drink with impunity so I would not end up in some jackpot across town that I'm sparing you the gory details, okay? You know, with one of my many husbands, I always have to say this, I always have to say this, right, Reg? I had many husbands when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. None of them were mine. <laughs> they were your husbands, they were not my husbands. And so I was miserable about that too. So I thought um, AA was, this is the only one thing I wanted. I wanted to not hate myself because I hated myself. I would do things in the night. I would write that down too. I would do things in the night that caused me such shame, such horror the next day. Okay. I, you know, I, 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 all these men cheated on their women with me and I cheated on all of them with other men. I mean, like that's my, that was my life. I was getting fired from my job again. I didn't, I had no, so I, you know, I did not wake, honeys, I did not wake up out of an eight hour beauty sleep on the 18th of May of 1997, thinking that the night before I had had my last drink, but today was a beautiful May day. I love myself, I'm full of self-esteem. I love my work. I'm destined to do it. I love the world at large. I love you all. Everything is great, but I got nothing else to do today. I think I'll join AA today. That did not happen to me. That was not my story. I don't even think it's anybody's story who's listening to this. I think if you're listening to this, it's for a reason. Not because you got nothing better to do. Well, no, I might, you might have nothing better to do, but I'm just saying that's not my story with alcoholics enough. So I went to the step meeting on Tuesday and all the step books are out, which I, and I didn't know. I mean, I knew about Jack Klugman, you know, and I know that what's her face, you know, Lee Remick doesn't make it. So I wanted to be, you know, Jack Lemon with a, not Lee Remick from Days of Wine and Roses. That's what I knew about AA. Even so, and I had been 12 steps, but I ignored it. People would talk to me about my drinking. I'd go like, F off, and leave me alone and F off. So I walk into the step meeting and you know what I have? I have a notebook because I'm so smart. I'm so smart. Anybody here from Massachusetts? And there is, I'm going, I was so smart. I was wicked smart. Right. So I brought a notebook. I'm going to make some notes. And they were on step whatever. I mean, don't ask me to tell you what step they were on. But I take out this notebook at this very crowded table. We're sitting elbow to elbow. There's a bunch of people in the room. Again, in English. And they're talking about whatever. And I'm making notes. You know what else I'm doing? There's a step book in front of me. And I open it up. I copy the steps. I am copying the steps from a 12 and 12 into this notebook. Not one person in the meeting, nobody leaned into me and said, honey, you don't need to copy the steps. We can get you the books that have the steps. Not one person, they let me do it. They just let me do it. Now, you know, where else are you going to, I don't, where else are you going to find that kind of love, that kind of acceptance, that kind of patience? But if there was an Alcoholics Anonymous, for heaven's sake, I mean, Jesus, it, they let me do it. 
And then they said, if you want to get the books, this is after the meeting. Now I'm copying all the steps. I'm copying them down. Like I'm, I'm going to figure them out by myself. Say, I'm going to work this. I'm just, if I get these steps right, whatever, I'm not even paying attention to the God part of the crap. I'm just, just writing them down that then I could do this thing and I will be able to have a couple of drinks, you know, after work and uh, not end up in trouble at, you know, the next morning and drink myself sober around the clock in a big trouble. So they tell me that we could, I could get literature for the, what they call the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 and 12, which they call the step book and the yellow book living, you know, living sober and the red book came to believe all this other stuff at a meeting that's at the American Cathedral, um, the Avenue George Sang on, that's Monday through Friday. And by the way, it still exists. It's in person and on Zoom. So it's 6 a.m. Eastern time, it's 12 noon there. And um, so I went, I as I told you, remember I told I took the week off. I, I called in sick and, you know, and this was France. So I got paid more money not working than working because it's not America, it's France. So I took sick leave for a week. I did have to go back to on the job eventually. And I go to, now it's my third meeting, my third meeting. And I go and um, should I tell the story? Or I'm going to tell this story. So I, I go into the, yeah, yeah. I go, I go into this meeting and I'm early. Because now, now um, I have not had a drink. I have not had a drink for well, three days, three days. And I'm feeling a little better. And I know that if I don't do this thing, if I don't pursue this thing, I don't know why that thought's in my head, but I know if I don't pursue this thing, as all bets are off and I'll drink again because I did it before. I couldn't control my drinking. You know, I couldn't control my drinking and I didn't understand why. And I would write in my journals. I did it again. I mean, all of that. So I walk into the basement. It's before 9-11. There's no security. I walk right, right to the basement of the American Cathedral. Uh, and I'm a little early. And there's one guy in the room. And he's setting up chairs in the, you know, the windowless basement of the church off the Champs-Élysées. And he's setting up the, the tables in a horseshoe fashion. And he looks really familiar to me, like really familiar. And I go, shit, shit. I know this guy. And you know how I think I know him, right? Yeah, I think I know him, you know, in the, in the biblical sense and i'm really upset and embarrassed because you know i'm not drunk or anything to hide my embarrassment my shame or whatever so he goes hello love I go, oh god i know this guy i know that voice i know this thing he goes hello love he goes what's your name i go liz and he goes oh you know and i go no i have three days i swear to you I went, no, I have three days because that was me. And he, uh, he did not laugh at me. He did not laugh at me. Like they didn't laugh at me the step meeting the day before. He did not laugh at me. And I said, I'm here to get the books. Oh, I just want the books. Because now I'm going to look for a way out. I'm not like you. I just, if I changed my job, if I changed my men, if I got out of the city and I moved to the country and I got involved with a gentleman horse farmer, I would be able to drink and there wouldn't be a problem with booze and all of you could just F off. Because I'm not like you. I'm not like you, you idiots. You know, that's what was in my head. That was three days sober. So he goes and he hands me a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, hands me a 12 to 12 hot book. And, but he has me the, 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 the big 
He hands me the and I said, how much? And we weren't even on the Euro yet. We were still in French francs. He goes, how much? He said, for you, he said, for free. He says, you know, my gift to you, darling. He said, no money. And actually they were like 12 francs. So anyway, he gave, he gave me this book. Well, thank you. And then people start coming in. Now he's finishing setting up. People are coming in, people are coming in. And he goes to the front of the room. He goes to the front of the room and he sits down next to the person that I later on, I knew to be the, you know, what we call the, in Paris, we would call the, the secretary of the meeting. And he sits down next to this individual and the meeting begins. And I already been to two meetings. So now like I'm an old hand at AA, I've been to two meetings. I know what it's all about. I know everything. I'm sitting in the room. You're somewhere in the back, of course, you know, the horseshoe. It's very crowded. And she, the secretary, introduces him as the speaker. What went through my mind was, wait a minute, maybe there's something to this thing. Maybe there's something to this thing. And so I came back. I came back and I came back. And you know what I did? What I did is I picked up this book. Now, I'm not a thumper. I, I'm, not, um, uh, I'm not a fundamentalist in AA, I am somebody who does believe truly that you can find either your own concept of a power greater than yourself or not have a power greater than yourself. I, it's, it's, I'm not here to tell you what to do, which is why I love these free thinker meetings. I love the free thinker meetings and I love, you know, beyond belief um, of Josie, um, which I have right in front of me, by the way, Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for a 12-Step Life, which is a great reading for today. And this, I'm going to read it. I'm going to actually read the reading from today from Beyond Belief by Joe C. Um, for June 13th. And it's a quote from here, Herman Hess, who, no, who wrote Siddhartha. About Buddha. He said, some of us think holding on makes us strong, but sometimes... It is letting go. And that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me right there and then. When that guy gave me my big book, and then when I took it home and I read it, and when I got to the part in the doctor's opinion, it's falling apart. Sorry, I have a fourth edition, but my third edition is, but it's, it's falling apart. What happened was I was looking for a way out. Okay. I was looking for a way out. So before I got, here's the thing, um, before I got to anything, I got to the doctor's opinion. And when I read stuff in the doctor's opinion that I didn't want to read and more about alcoholism after there is a solution, I didn't want, I identified. I didn't identify with anything about God or spirituality or the hell. No, none of that. What I identified was the milk, like, putting whiskey in your milk, drinking olive oil, of like drinking organic wines only, of like, there was like a laundry list of everything that I effing did. And I threw my book, it was a beautiful, it's like, oh, it was, you know, three days sober, man. I took this book, maybe that's why it's falling apart like 25 years later. I took this book and I hurled it like a Frisbee. Oh my God, it really is fun. I need to get a revamp hurled it like a frisbee through my open sliders into the dog shit of Paris, four stories below. Now, 
I lay there on my couch. I heaved a great sigh. I was looking for a way out. And instead, I got off the couch, donned a pair of dish gloves up to my elbow, um, went downstairs, picked up that book, which I just destroyed even more just a second, picked up that book with my rubber gloves from the dog poop, brought it upstairs, literally washed it off, and read it to the end, including the stories, and read it to the end, and read it to the end. And what I found was, was I was I, I, I didn't pay attention, and this is my truth, I didn't pay that close attention to the God stuff, because I didn't, I didn't, I just, I just didn't. And in today's reading, by the way, he talks about for theists, which I am not, so those are theists, let go and let God doesn't come easily at first, but then it becomes a way of life. However, you know, an apostate, and I used that word earlier, is someone who reaches a turning point in faith. I cannot speak to any of this. I can only speak to what works for me is that it turns out that the things that helped me survive the feelings of my childhood trauma and the trauma in the body that manifested as panic disorder, anxiety disorder, excessive everything, you know, I, I put into the bottle, stopped working and AA, once I was sober long enough, through the steps in a secular manner showed me in fact that you take the alcohol out of an alcoholic. What's the joke? You're left with ick, aren't you? So if you take away my survival tool and then you take away the bad behavior because that's like no fun now, I'm sober. What am I gonna do about it? So here we go. Um, I have no clue what I believe in. But I will read the end of the reading today, June 13th, from the book, Beyond Belief, where it says, how married am I to my current worldview when I work with others? Do I help them find their salvation, not my own brand of recovery? I want to hold to that dictum. I sponsor women who literally have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know what I say? I say, that's awesome. That's great. Because I get to say, what would your boss do? And they know that, in fact, I'm someone who doesn't have a religious practice. I, you know, I have a spiritual practice that works for me. And I encourage that for other people. But I, it's also, I also encourage this, this one thought, this one thought, which is how I went through the steps with sponsors who were like me this way. Okay, in France and later on, and even here now, which is this. You can go through the 12 steps for everybody. For everybody. Okay? Um, I believe, and I'm going to go right from Josie's book, addiction is an incurable progressive illness. I believe that to be true. I believe that one day at a time, sometimes a minute at a time, I can stay sober, but it's not I can stay sober. It's I didn't do this by myself. It's we, we can stay sober. That self-reliance, 
was insufficient for us, and I mean me, to get her stay self I wanted to stop drinking. I was able to do that in my hangovers for a day or two. Then I felt better, and then I did it again. So I was relying on my desire to not do this anymore, and that didn't work. You know what worked? This worked. We just celebrated 87 years of Alcoholics Anonymous on June 10th. What are we celebrating? You know what we're celebrating? We're celebrating the day that Dr. Bob had his last drink. We're not celebrating the day before Christmas that Bill Wilson met Dr. Bob. Okay, we're not celebrating that because he did before Christmas in 1934 in Akron, Ohio. But Dr. Bob relapsed. And he took his final drink on June 10th, 1935. And that, that is the birthday of Alcoholics Anonymous 87 years ago. And it's one alcoholic. That's what it was created before there was a book, before there was a book, before the crap was written down, before anybody said, you know, uh, God is everything or nothing, or I don't know what they said. AA at its most basic, MEA, this A. This room, this group, me sharing with you, you simply being there in my Hollywood squares and anyone who listens to this afterward is that I learned through the steps in a secular fashion with people that honesty, open-mindedness and self-evaluation a willingness to make amends and, 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 and when I was done with that, help others are the two wolves that will allow this absolute alcoholic to stay clean and sober and beyond that to be in a state of recovery i have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body exactly as it's stated in the book because i haven't taken a drink today so just for today you say and I do not have the experience, nor do I want it. I've heard too many experiences of AA ruining people's drinking. Okay? I, I don't want that experience. But I can assure you that AA has ruined my bad behavior. That's for sure. Okay? And remember when I started talking early on about the psychological change? That's what I mean. When I was a drinking entity running my show saying, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I failed at that. And I caused harm. And I haven't done that for a long time. I actually don't do stuff now um, that, I, that I did when I was drinking. It doesn't mean that um, my anxiety disorder is gone. It simply means I have the tools both within the program and also without. I'm a big believer in outside help. I'm a big believer it takes a village. I'm a big believer in AA being at its most basic or any A for that matter, any A. But my mothership is AA. I also go to ACA. That all by myself, my head goes who it could still go very who but with others 
with others, I get solace, comfort, I get validation, and my job is also to pass that on. And that happened to me through the steps. It happened to me through the very basic idea of one addict, alcoholic, whatever, talking to another one or listening long enough to lessen, to lessen my feelings of terminal uniqueness, but my case is different and you don't understand long enough so that I could sit in the way. Because AA started as a conversation between two drunks. And that's what this is to me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to end with this. Whether it's modem to modem, or in fact, you know, it, even that they have to change because like who has a modem anymore? It's like there's the, the Wi-Fi pod over there, right? It's, but you know, whether it's Wi-Fi pod to Wi-Fi pod or cellular data to cellular data, or it's my Hollywood squares. For me, it's a we thing. And that's how I did it. That's how I did it. A heartbeat a minute, an hour, a day at a time in a row. And I'm a satisfied customer because I don't need to fight. I don't need to fight fundamentalists in AA. I might need to fight them with my vote. That's an outside issue, but I was told anything goes in this meeting. I mean, in America, I may need to fight them with my vote, but I have the power to vote, right? I have the power to do that. But, you know, my job is not to argue with people. My job is to sit here and say, how can I help? How can I help? What can I do? How can I help? This is my experience. My name is Liz. I'm an alcoholic. And I am very grateful, actually, unbelievably enough, to be sober as hell today. I think I'll keep coming back. Thank you, all you guys. And thank you for being here. That's it for me.